if you are not really good mm-hmm. at going uphill, mm-hmm. do not start at the back of the group. Do not. And try to be as big of a road obstacle as you can. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to another fun-filled episode of Coaches on Couches. Bing slouches. Today, we're, uh, I think this is going to be a favorite. Should be a good one. I think we get asked about, uh, about, about improving your hills, like uh, your ability on hills. Yeah, the question, what can I do to yeah. get faster on the climbs? Yeah, almost weekly. Uh, very often, yeah, yeah, for sure. So... Today we're going to talk about, uh, we've dubbed it, uh, hill climbing domination. Yes, and it's geared toward the cyclists. Yeah. So for you runners out there, apologies on this. So we've, we've already covered. Uh, we actually did a whole episode on hill running technique. Yep. Um, and a lot of this episode is going to be based on technique. So that's yep. obviously a huge part of uh, going up hill fast. So. For sure. I am Coach Dale Sanford. And I am Coach Bryant Funston. We are the co-founders of BPC Performance Coaching, where we specialize in helping uh, time-crunched athletes optimize their busy schedules so they can maximize their athletic performance. Every BPC coach is trained in our five pillars coaching system that has been developed over the last decade through our work with athletes of all ages and ability levels from fresh off the couch to world championship competitors. You can find out more about BPC by going to buildpeakcompete.com, checking Facebook and YouTube at buildpeakcompete, or all up on that Insta at BPC Performance. A little slip there. I know, I know. (laughs) That's why I had had it open. I had it open Uh, just in case. I was a little confident. uh, I'm a little confident on that one. Uh A little cocky there, (laughs) Funston. All right, we'll get to the topic of today, but first, shout-outs. Shout-outs! The season's kind of winding down yep. for a lot of folks. A uh, few big races still out there. Um, last weekend, we had uh, a decent group go to the Dixie Triathlon in beautiful Huntington, Tennessee, where we were the week before Yep. for our uh, tri-camp. And uh, Philip Machine. The Machine! Young, uh, pulls out the overall win in the Olympic distance. That's his first uh, Olympic distance win. Atta boy. So nice, good, and a tough, tough course. The course is tough. It's more hilly. hills than people. It's uh, hilly. Hey, appropriate that we're talking about hill climb. Topic. Yeah, domination. Um, Jamie Bailey was third overall female. Uh, so she's on the podium there with uh, with Kirsten Sass. Boom. Took the overall win. Boom. Uh, Cliff Abelis. Second age group and a top 20 finish. Um, And then going into the sprint, our buddy Matt Joyner uh, took the win in the sprint. Plant power, baby. Plant power. (laughs) uh, He's had a a bit of a rough season battling some injuries, so it was good for him to to get back out there and throw down. Uh, Greg Rohde, first age group. And Heather Nichols, Coach Heather, who does our uh, Friday hops uh, online strength workouts for yep. us uh first masters female but she was actually fourth overall female in the sprint. there we and go happy birthday to her early birthday oh her birthday's uh soon soon yeah <laughs> so Sometime happy birthday soon. there it's pretty soon uh, it's, it's coming up <laughs> we had a text uh conversation yesterday about all the gifts she's getting mm. so there you go there you go so now you know those are our shout-outs for the week. Good luck. I've got one good luck here. we got a uh, couple athletes going to Renaissance City Tri. Where's that Florence, at? Alabama. Florence? Yeah. Beautiful this time of year. Yeah, I hear. That's Beautiful. Cool. Right. Let's get to the topic of today because oh. it is vast. And uh, this show could, could have probably been extended by another hour because of all the... Uh, you know, we put out a lot of content on this mm-hmm. over the years because it is such a hot topic. Oh, for sure. Um, and something we chat a bunch about in our in our off season uh, House of Pain cycling class. I mean, we we work a ton on yeah on on this specific you know hill climb focused stuff. Yeah, technique, 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 yep. technique. We'll get into it. So, um, 
there are really like four major keys to going uphill faster. Um, one is pretty pretty simple, self-explanatory, and that is to practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is kind of ironic that we're giving a talk on hill climb domination being in Memphis, Tennessee. It is a little ironic, but we well, also... Our climbs are like a long climb, 90 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but... We have gone to the, the mountains time, before. Uh, we have a lot of athletes who go to hillier oh, sure. races, climbs with serious, serious climbs, mm-hmm. and they do just fine. Yep. Uh, and actually have some great performances. Yeah, here here at the end of this, we're going to give some tips for the Flatlanders. Yeah, Flatlanders our guide. Flatlanders so, guide so stay, to, uh, stay yeah, till the end. Stick it out. We'll get to it. Yeah. So you got to practice. You got to mm-hmm. practice going on climbs. And that, that could mean uh, some things we're going to drop on you later, but it also could mean like traveling to oh, a place sure. that has more climbs and just for sure. uh, force yourself to, to do those efforts because mm-hmm. if you're, there's no wet, better way to simulate going uphill than going uphill yeah it is it is different it's not it's not just like put it this cadence in this wattage it's yeah it's an actual uh difference uh second key is maximizing your efficiency and technique that's what we're going to drill a lot yeah we're going to drill yeah drill that a lot today you can you can get some big improvement by actually learning and knowing what to feel for and what to do yeah and then third key is dropping weight that's a huge one um not to be (laughs) we won't go too in-depth on that um yeah we aren't gonna be giving out diet advice today diet nutrition thing it could be an equipment change Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of ways to drop weight uh we'll just put the the big thing that we want to touch on there is that most people it's easier for you to take five pounds off of your body and cheaper and cheaper yeah easier and cheaper to lose yeah you're thinking about the whole system here you're thinking about bike and body combo so where can you lose five pounds the the cheapest and easiest healthiest healthiest way yeah off your body generally off your body unless Mm -hmm. you're already extremely fit exactly Uh, you know and that's in that case that's why you see a lot of the like elite pro climbers when they get on the on the the biggest part of the climb bottles oh yeah exactly oh yeah for sure get rid of uh how nice would that be like to number one, have like a set person that goes and gets your bottles for you, yeah. and then you only ever need to ride with like a half a half filled bottle right. uh, on your bike, and then you just direct someone to go get you get you more. Yeah, you and I ride with uh, eight pounds of water, exactly. eight pounds of fluid. <laughs> Got two. We both have two, sometimes three, one liter bottles. Yep. So the big boys, four to six pounds of water, uh-huh. of fluid. Yep. Yeah. So. Weight is a is a big one. We're t- you know when when the grade goes up, mm-hmm. power to weight. Yeah, when you're overcoming gravity, and the more you're having to overcome gravity, the bigger that power to weight. Which that's the you know the fourth one, increasing power. So yeah. dropping weight, increasing power. We call that your power to weight ratio. So based on what your the entire system, your body, your bike, um, everything you're carrying, uh, the, that relative to your power uh, is going to be a big determining factor in how fast you can go uphill. That's why, you know, you, you see some of these pro uh, level folks who, um, you know, in their own right are good climbers, you know, like a Peter Sagan, who's, uh, you know, all, all world, everything. But when you get on these really long, really steep uh, sections, he just doesn't have that power to weight ratio uh, to, to be able to stay up there with those little 140 pound dudes that, Crank it out. 140? Yeah, some, some, some less than like that. Jockeys, yeah. Like exactly, yeah. 120, 130? Yep. Not uncommon to see your specialist, your climbing specialist to be... I mean, what's Nairo? Nairo's like... Yeah, Quintana's probably one... Well, I guess... I don't know if we should call him a specialist anymore. <laughs> anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. That's an offshoot right there. <laughs> uh, so, w- what we want to dive into since... Uh, we'll kind of get into increasing power a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Dropping weight, we're not going to go into a whole lot. No. Um, because that's, it's not simple per se, but mm-hmm. it's straightforward. Yep. Um, you know, and the same thing with practicing. You got to just practice. Mm-hmm. And that can be practicing the technique side of things as well. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Because yeah. uh, you're not going to change that overnight. But um, basically, when we talk about uh, technique and efficiency in climbing, we break it down into seated and standing climbing. Mm-hmm. So it's the two the two major ways you can go uphill. 
Now, when you are seated, we'll kind of go there first. The um, much more common. Much more common. People generally spend most of their time in the saddle. Yeah, unless you're Chris Horner. Unless you're Horner. <laughs> spend 20-minute blocks 20 out of the saddle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with a smile on his face. Yeah. Um, so, seated climbing, the, the first thing that we always tell people to do is to go to your top bars. Mm-hmm. So, hands on the top bars. Um. If you're on a time trial bike, that could mean hands on the pads. Oh, yeah. Uh, your aero pads. You know, if it's that steep, hands on the aero pads. Um, and that is so that you sit up. Uh, you can get a little bit more oxygen in, but it also opens your hips up a ton. Yeah, that's and, that's the big combo. Yeah, you open your lungs up more. You can take those bigger you know, diaphragm, breathing into your belly breaths, and open up your hip angle. Yeah. And so that, what that's going to do is going to allow us to use the upstroke a whole lot more mm-hmm. uh, as we're climbing. So there may be, uh, you may slide slightly back on the saddle. And so the feel part of that is that you may now start to feel like on the downstroke, you may start to feel like you're pushing down and slightly forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, generally you're going to be, you, most people think kind of like, or we teach kind of heel down. You know, bring it, bring it straight Flat down, foot, keeping it yeah. fair, parallel to the ground. Um, but when you slide back on the saddle, that kind of changes the timing yep. of your pedal stroke, and so now you may be thinking down and forward. And it's just a small little mental cue and play with it. So when you are on a climb, slide back a little bit on the saddle, sit up a little bit more, open the hips up, and and just do that slight. And you can exaggerate it too till you find where you're in that kind of most efficient uh, spot over exaggerate you know pushing down and forward mm-hmm. um and then try pushing you know more down and then try pushing down and back and see which one's um allowing your perceived effort to drop the most while keeping either speed or power or heart rate constant yeah and then the the second part of that and without going into an entire pedal stroke uh you know synopsis T- tutorial yeah mm-hmm. well the other thing is the upstroke Mm-hmm. And the upstroke, in my opinion, I would think you'd probably agree, is probably the most underutilized phase of the pedal stroke for most people. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, so we can utilize this upstroke to still produce a lot of a lot of force, a lot of power, um, but more so take load off of those bigger working muscles that are the predominant movers. When you're just thinking downstroke, downstroke, mm-hmm. push, 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 mash, 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 we can actually use that upstroke by punching the knees kind of up and forward. So if you think about a straight line, basically from your ankle through your through your uh, lower leg, uh, it's your lower leg is going to kind of point toward the your bars. So you're going to punch your knees up and forward towards your top bars, and that's going to help utilize that upstroke. Now the other thing you have to do is make sure that you're kind of gently locking your ankle in. So we don't want to like... Uh, um, we call it relaxed but engaged. Yeah. It, not, it, not like tense. You don't want to force anything really in yeah. cycling um, or you know in sports period. But the more you can kind of keep that ankle engaged, the less um, flexion you're going to get in your ankle. So you, if a lot of times we'll see people like the ankle just flop. Mm-hmm. So you just, it's on the upstroke, the yep. toe points, you get plantar flexion, and then as you come over the top, there's very little dorsiflexion that happens, and you end up pedaling kind of toe down. Mm-hmm. Well, if we keep the ankle engaged on that upstroke, and that foot stays fairly parallel to the ground, as you pull up kind of with your hip flexors, pushing your knee up and toward the bars, you're going to generate a lot of power on that upstroke, and you're not going to lose that force to the pedal mm-hmm. through that flopping ankle. Yep. And I like to actually feel, again, exaggerate it a little bit, but I like to feel my foot like right. s- smacking up into the top of my shoe. So I like to physically feel like almost like I'm flicking my foot up into the shoe. And I've told this story before, but um, you know, I was racing Joe Martin, and we were on a, a challenging climb. And I was worried I was going to get dropped on. It was a loop course. We had to do it multiple times. First time up it, I was totally at my limit. Had power on the bike. I'm watching power. Um, quads are just totally destroyed from the previous, what, two days of, of racing that we'd already done. And next loop up, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to like cue myself on, on pedal stroke. 
which I did. And I, what I noticed was I really started emphasizing that upstroke, which I had not been doing the previous. And I went from like thinking I was going to get shelled. Power was the same up the climb as it was the previous time. Perceived effort dropped so much uh, just by cueing myself and utilizing upstroke. Like that was the biggest difference. And yeah. I, I went a little bit higher cadence. So cadence went up yeah. a little bit, used the upstroke a lot more. And yeah. I, it was a, like a night and day difference. So we'll talk about cadence here in just a second. But uh, like one of the big tips that we always uh, give to people is like literally focus. You can even break it into upstroke and downstroke, but like mm -hmm. literally focus like somewhere between 10 and 30 pedal strokes on both sides, yep. only upstroke. Punch the knee up and forward, punch the knee up and forward, punch, 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 and then go back to downstroke 10 to 30 pedal strokes. Mm -hmm. And that little tip right there, I've had people come back, you know, to me, to us and say, that one little thing has saved me so many times mm -hmm. on hills getting from getting dropped from a group, uh, you know, on the harder climbs. That one little piece of, of uh, information has been huge. Yep. No, for sure. No, so, definitely something, definitely something to, to practice. If, if all you do is is focus on downstroke, you can get away with that much uh, more on flatter. When when your speed is higher, you can get away with overemphasizing one phase. Yeah. When you get on a climb where you need to be generating force pretty much the entire pedal stroke, because if you don't, your bike is trying to go downhill. Yeah. You don't have momentum uh, carrying you forward like you do on a flat or a downhill. So you, you need to be as smooth and as efficient as you can throughout all 360 degrees of that pedal stroke. Yeah, our, our, and I say this probably five times a week, our elevator speech on pedal stroke efficiency is to keep that ankle uh, engaged but not locked and then think about keeping your feet as parallel to the ground as possible. And that's mm -hmm. more for road bike. Mm -hmm. On a time trial bike, the whole system's rolled forward a little bit. So there's... You get more heel up, yeah. You get a little bit more heel up. But... Um, and when you're like on the upstroke, you don't have to maintain that perfectly flat foot. No, it's Because all, you're now behind the... Yeah. Behind your body more. So heel's going to lift there as well. So don't... I mean, don't take this to the it's extreme. It's just a relative feeling of exactly. your feet being more parallel to the ground. Mm -hmm. You're totally limited by your ankle flexibility. Exactly. So, um, you know, it's just a, it's just a feeling. Yeah. Um, now the other side of the coin here is standing. Mm -hmm. Now standing is like, it's a whole lot tougher for people to really get the technique of standing while climbing. Yeah. And every year when we do house pain, um, that is probably what people struggle technic on the technical things that we spend time on. Yeah. That's probably the thing that people struggle with the most as mm -hmm. far as, you know, how long it takes them to get it. Mm -hmm. um, so, and just the general population, like I, I bet most people would say that their quads, tops of their legs mm -hmm. just burn out. Blow up. Yeah. If they spend more than, you know, 10, 15 seconds out of the saddle. So what generally happens is people go, okay, well, if I stand it is harder it hurts more my legs burn out so i'm not going to do that yeah <laughs> whereas you know like in the hot we like force people to do it we force you out yeah. of the comfort zone because you know once you get the technique right and you're actually allowing one side to recover on the upstroke and you know once you get that efficiency in the body and the timing is all dialed in i mean i could i could spend five minute blocks out of the saddle you know, right now on a flat ground and yep. not elevate my heart rate uh, crazy, yep. you know, it, it would not hurt me to do that. Yeah. Once you're efficient at it, it's, uh, it's a really awesome body position to use while going uphill, mm -hmm. especially if you run out of gears. Mm -hmm. So, um, yep. the, the, probably the biggest mistake that we see people make when they are cl trying to climb out of the saddle is when they, when they get off of the saddle, they actually like stand straight up. Their butt goes basically elevating over the saddle. Like a hover. Yeah, like a hover versus sliding forward. So we always explain it as when you come out of the saddle, you want to slide forward off of the saddle instead of coming straight up above the saddle. Mm -hmm. So everything's shifting forward and your shoulders are basically going to come roughly over your hands. Yes. Depending on how steep of a climb you're on will impact like how far your body is right. forward versus not. But 
but yeah, give or take shoulders you, you definitely shouldn't be yeah hands way out in front of your of your head otherwise you're putting you're throwing essentially you're throwing all your weight onto your legs yeah. so we're trying to get balance between what your arms and upper body is supporting versus the load that your your legs are having to take yep. and if you're not putting any pressure on those bars uh, there's a good chance that those legs are taking a lot of that that, that stress um, you know in sprinting the reason you want to stand is like Dale said if it's steeper and you run out of gears you're able to generate more force standing than you do seated that's why when you see sprints happen and you know in races not many people are sprinting seated they stand to sprint and generate quick short burst power you can generate a lot of, of, of power um, for sure when you're standing so but becoming efficient at standing is going to also allow you to relieve other muscle groups uh, when you are on a climb um, pretty easy to to in really engage those glutes when you're up and out of the saddle it's easy to give the back a break you know spending a yeah. long time in that kind of climbing position especially if you're at a lower cadence you know putting a lot of torque through through your core as well yep. your back can totally get smoked yeah yeah and so, so standing helps helps alleviate that and distribute that muscular load differently the, the other big things that we talk about when we're explaining um standing is that like when you're when you're basically your crank arm is roughly seven o'clock so past you know that six o'clock that vertical yeah um once you're about past set, uh, six o'clock your body if you took a a picture a still shot at that moment your body should look pretty straight from your mm -hmm. from your ankle through your shoulder uh it's you know compared to like you know it's it's like a sprinter coming out of the blocks type of thing so yep. straight line shoulder to ankle have that glute really engaged mm -hmm. on the one side um but we see a lot of people again when you don't slide off the front of the saddle and you just stand straight up there's this really definite like bend at the waist yep. that happens and like you said that you're just keeping all the weight on your lower body mm -hmm. and you're not you're not taking the weight off of it uh in order to engage those big big powerful movers yep. uh more now dale talked like we talked about with the seated how essentially you're when you slide back on the saddle you're kind of changing the timing of your pedal stroke and you're going a little more pushing down and forward. Well, when you stand, essentially your hips are now coming you know, up and forward and are it's again changing the timing, but the opposite way. So yeah. now instead of pushing down and forward, you're pushing more down and back. And uh, you know, Dale likes to use the, you know, making like a J hook at the bottom of the pedal stroke uh, as kind of a cue, a mental cue yeah. to clear the bottom of the pedal stroke, get past the bottom, almost to that seven o'clock. And then it's a lift of the foot. From yeah. There. If you, so we do a drill, we do a drill in hop for people who are really not getting it. We call it the three count drill. So mm -hmm. basically you do three, really doing a big gear, three, uh, three pedal strokes out of the saddle. And then you, as you let your weight, like guide that pedal down, you'll feel where the bottom, where it bottoms out and it hooks back really quick. It just, it's just a quick movement. And that's like, when you kind of get where that bottom happens, that's when you know, like now you can cue yourself to lift and unweight that foot. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, you do one, two, three, lift one, two, three, and you feel it out. And then uh, you kind of progress it a little bit faster, go to a, a easier gear. And now we're trying to get the timing down. Yep. And then, and then you can go into doing a normal, like, uh, out of the saddle, th uh, climbing, but, um, you've learned it at a much slower, exactly. uh, speed. And that's something you don't have to even do on the trainer. That's something you can try out on the road as well. Yeah. You can do it in a big gear yeah. on the road, you know, even a slight grade. And he says bigger gear, kind of the, the point of the bigger gears, it slows the timing down. Yep. It allows you to put enough stress through the muscle groups that you can tell what's doing doing the work. Um, but as you get to that higher cadence, everything's happening a lot faster, and it's easy to kind of just yeah. kind of yeah. Learning <laughs> like any movement, learning mm -hmm. slowing it down is going to help you learn the timing. Yeah, and then you can start speeding it up and getting better at uh, the muscle or the yeah the muscles and brain communicating uh, and getting that timing more efficient. 
at yep. faster speeds. But if you never learn like where the bottom of that, that feel, that, yeah. where the feel of the bottom is, mm -hmm. then it's really hard to get efficient yep. standing out of the saddle. Oh, for sure. Um, so think, yeah, it's just that re real quick feeling. Like you, bot you weight that leg and then it comes through the bottom and it kind of whips itself backwards. And that's where you have to unweight. Yeah, the cue I always like is I like to kind of feel for that bottom of the pedal stroke and then treat that like it's a hot coal that you just stepped on and you want to get your foot off it quick. So once you feel the bottom of the pedal stroke, once you feel you're not, you know, that little J hook, then it's a matter of bringing that foot off that hot coal. Um, and because what we tend to find people with a really clunky uh, pedal stroke out of the saddle, a lot of it comes down to either they're not getting over the top of the pedal stroke or they're spending too much time at the bottom. So, you know, the opposite leg is trying to get over the top and it's fighting that, that down leg. So really working on that timing between, or getting, getting through the bottom of the pedal stroke quick is huge for a lot of people. Yeah, and that kind of segues into that last little technical thing yep. with standing and that's the bike rock. Mm -hmm. Now, it, when you, if you practice it on it, Ooh. Oh, pain train. Pain train. Choo choo. <laughs> uh, when. <laughs> chugga chugga. If you practice it on the trainer, unless you have one of those like Kurt Kinetic rock and roll type things, uh, there, you're going to not be able to rock your bike very much. Mm -hmm. But out on the road, you're going to want to rock the bike under you, not rock yourself, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, left and right. Um, so when you're out of the saddle, um, you stay vertical, mm -hmm. the bike moves left to right underneath you. And what that does is when the bike rocks to the left, that right leg has an easier time getting over the top of the pedal stroke. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a, that's another thing that when we like, when we do, we do a decent amount of one-on-one -on -one work, you know, with people, uh, teaching them to be more efficient climbing. And that's one thing that we always see is that there's just not enough bike rock. Mm -hmm. They're doing very little. The b bike moves very little. And when you're doing that, when you're, when you're trying to generate force down one side and not allow your bike to resist that essentially. So when you're pedaling and allowing that bike rock to happen, you're resisting, you're pulling against the force you're putting down into the pedal. If you're trying to hold your bike perfectly upright, your opposite side is having to help stabilize the bike so it's really tough to disengage and allow these quads these tops of the legs to to uh, get that micro recovery on the upstroke if it's busy trying to stabilize you and the bike underneath you because you're trying to keep everything so upright so uh, a lot of times the people that say their quads are burning out super quick uh, I nine times out of ten that person has zero bike rock and they're just like so locked in, arms are so tight, there's no flow to it. It just looks like they're fighting fighting it. Yeah. And there's no way you can sustain that. No. I mean, it may work okay for short stuff, but we're talking, you know, under 10 seconds, it may work for you. However, if you're trying to like spend time. If it's big force, if yeah. you're, especially if you're trying to like get up and go, if it's big force, you have to rock the bike. Yep. I mean, there's no, there's no way you can not do it and generate a lot of force into the pedal. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to practice out of the saddle. Um, out of the, we're, and we're thinking, we're talking more about on the, on the hoods, you know, yeah. so you're on the hoods and you're rocking, you know, versus in the drops when you're yeah. sprinting. Yeah. So you're on the hoods and you're rocking. So you're going to get like a, a little bend in one arm and a straightening in the other. Um, on the trainer, when you're practicing it, uh, you can practice the rhythm of it by like kind of bending one arm and dropping a shoulder mm -hmm. and you kind of get this shoulder rock going. Yeah. The upper body tends to almost like a fish swimming a little bit more yeah. when you're indoors just because your bike's locked in. You yeah. Can't. And it's, it's good for you to get the rhythm down. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's not perfect technique, but it's good to have that rhythm in your, the timing, in, in your the practice, timing the aspect timing, of yeah. it. Yep. And then, so when you get outside, then it's all to the bike. Yep. Um, for sure that's one thing. and like that that three uh if you're someone whose tops of your legs are burning out that three pedal stroke drill out on the road even on the trainer is huge you should get to the point where you can stand you're in the you're at the bottom of the pedal stroke on one you're coasting 
and you should be able to, I mean, I'm guessing everyone should be able to stand on one leg for a long period of time, right? You should get to the point where you're at the bottom of the pedal stroke, you're coasting and you're allowing your muscles to relax on both legs. So you should get to the point where you're like super relaxed, three pedal strokes, opposite leg, feel it, feel it relaxing um, because you're trying to program, you know, the body, like what position do I need to be in in order to allow these legs that recovery time? It doesn't take much, much, but we want, we want muscle groups to relax. Otherwise they're fighting the opposite side. Yep. And on that, on that three count drill, um, when you are in that seven o'clock position, that's where you want, you want quads disengaged. You want them to be relaxed, but you want your glutes, your glute on the one side, that booty, mm-hmm. get that booty, booty on blast, all engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how, you know, if you can contract that glute on that one side, um, you know, that's, that's what you want to feel at that seven o'clock, uh, that seven o'clock position. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a pretty much, that, I mean, that's probably the best drill you know, that we have in our arsenal for just yeah. learning the timing of out of the saddle. Yep, for sure. Uh, climbing. And then move it to five, then move it to seven. Then, you know, once you get to yeah. seven, you're probably at a point where you're going to be able to extend it even longer. But, you know, start with three pedal stroke coast, three pedal stroke coast, and yep. just feel the relaxing happen. Go back to it. All right. So let's, uh, we'll, we're, we'll go a little bit. This is also in our book technique mm-hmm. um, um, or efficiency. And this this is what we used at the camp just a couple of weeks ago. We got awesome feedback on uh, from yeah, who gave us uh, Kiri yeah yeah on this on this next one. So, so listen closely. So listen. <laughs> so like we like we see all the time like on group rides, charity rides, people hit a hill and they're just grinding out the biggest gear, and it could not it could be a simple like two percenter mm-hmm. and. They're just grinding it out, and they don't ever shout out, shift. Shout out Bubba. <laughs> yeah, we have a, a buddy of ours locally that refuses. He might as well just have a single speed. Exactly. I'll <laughs> push a big gear. Um, but, you know, you like people never shift, mm-hmm. and you have all of these really cool gears, mm-hmm. uh, and, they're, and they get easier, and so easier. you don't they're have harder. to put out massive force on every single hill Mm -hmm. Uh, so our tip here is you have to use your gears one but shift before you get to the climb yeah don't run into the climb find out that you're bogged down in a big gear and then shift easier because you've already put all that tension in your legs they're not going to respond quite as well and and the especially if you know you're gonna if if you know you're gonna have to shift from your big ring to your small ring that definitely needs to happen when there's no tension on the chain. And you can you can ensure there's no tension on the chain a lot easier when you take a, a couple pedal stroke coast when it's flat still before you hit the climb. Uh, and uh, because you run a bigger risk of a chain dropping yeah. if you're trying to shift under tension. Um, and then sometimes it's like, oh, well, now I'm worried about the chain dropping, so I'm just not going to shift out of my big ring. And now you're cross-chain completely. And uh bogged down and it's just a it's just a big mess yeah yeah shifting under load is uh it's always a risk like it really it. is um you can so bad things happen to good people mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. when you're shifting under high load now if you realize too late then what you need to do is you need to take a couple hard pedal strokes yep and then shift while it's while it's easier so it's like a couple hard and then like an easy pedal stroke as you shift Yep. Uh, so that you're not under a bunch of tension. Ideally, if you know that you're going to have to go to the small ring, um, you'll go, basically, you'll before you get to the hill, mm-hmm. you'll go two harder yep. and then immediately shift to the small ring. And that usually gets fairly close to evening out the gear you were already in. Yep. And now you can then progress through the gears. Yep. Uh, and that two harder is key because otherwise you have the people that do the 160 rpm for a couple and you're bouncing all over the place and and that can drop the chain too like Mm -hmm. if there's if there's almost no tension uh and you go nuts with it (laughs) and yeah you drop it yeah you can drop the chain that way too um so yeah two harder and then the front chain Mm -hmm. ring uh you'll drop it but honestly just shifting especially early like in a race or a ride 
and saving saving your body, yep. saving the legs. Like the longer you can save the legs, the better. I I spend a ton of time in small chain ring in races. Yep. And it's like if I if I know it's not going to be hit so fast that and over the top it's not going to stay on it that I need to stay in the big ring, like I'll immediately spin to win, man. Oh yeah, I'll be spinning big time That's early a, in a race. A huge, you know, a huge strategy if you want to call it that is um, if it's a race or a com- even a competitive group ride or mm-hmm. just a bunch of people who don't know how to handle like control mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means a group ride? Yeah, which means a group ride. <laughs> so, uh, you know, making the early, make it as easy as possible on yourself, mm-hmm. but still staying with the group. Yep. So, you know, everybody wants big numbers and blah, 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 blah. But if you really want to do your best and like have it at the end when it really matters, uh, make the first part of the ride, the race, whatever, as easy as you possibly can on yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that probably means using a small chain ring on some of even the, the moderate climbs. Limit, yeah, try to limit your muscular fatigue early and put that more on your aerobic system, which is going to recover quicker and should be able to last longer yep. than you going out and torching your legs the first uh, you know, 15 miles. Yeah. A couple other little sh- things on shifting. Um like if you're going to stand, right? Mm-hmm. You, a lot of times if you just stand out of the saddle, if you wait too long, you're going to stand out of the saddle and you're still going to be grinding. So you might need to go easier, but a lot of times you also might need to go harder if you're going to stand uh, on the lower part and shift early. Um, you may have to go one to two gears harder just so that you don't stand and have no tension. Yep. Uh, that's not good. Because your cadence is going to fall off typically when you stand. It's yep. going to go lower than what you were at when you were seated. So you're essentially just adjusting for that in advance. Mm-hmm. And be careful not to throw your bike back. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this, this really isn't domination. It could be domination uh, to, to throw yeah. your bike back and wreck the person behind you. But Don't be a jerk. Yeah, the, the, the throwback of the wheel that you have likely seen if you've been riding your bike for any period of time usually comes when that person jumps out of the saddle and throws their bike back as their hips kind of, it's not like their hips yep. move up. Instead, it's their bike moves back yeah. underneath them. So to, to, uh, to counteract that, coming out of the saddle a little slower helps, but also making sure you're putting more force into the pedal as you come out of the saddle. Yeah. Come out of the saddle like around two o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that way you're taking a big pedal stroke as you move out of the saddle mm-hmm. and you're kind of accelerating forward. Yep. So if any rearward bike movement does happen, you've yep. already c- created some mm-hmm. space. Yeah. That's pretty annoying on, mm-hmm. on group rides when you almost get taken out. I'm always, I always, I always at the start of a climb or even, you know, through the midway point of a climb, I make sure I'm leaving a little bit more of a gap because I just know you can yeah. kind of tell. And it's like the bike can lurch back quite a bit. And I'm trying to make sure I'm not directly behind that I give a little yeah. side space as well just to just to protect my front wheel. So last um, tip on shifting, and this is something that we, we get into in the house pain class, is when you um, get over the top of a climb, don't immediately, well, one, don't stop pedaling. Uh, and two, don't immediately go to like, and just throw your gearing like two, three higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to gradually make the gear easier, um, or, you know, or harder so that there's not this massive buildup of tension in your body. You, if you stop pedaling, basically your, your muscles more or less act as when they contract are acting as little pumps. And that's what's like pumping at lactic, you know, lactic buildup, lactate out of your muscles. When you contract them, pumps the junk out. If you stop pedaling, that's when people get their legs like on fire, like stuff just sits there. So that's what you're feeling. Like there's no, there's no uh, movement of the, the waste products out of your, out of your muscles. So keep pedaling and then gradually take, put the, uh, by shifting, put the tension bigger or smaller Mm -hmm. based on what you need, uh, you know, what's in front of you, but don't stop pedaling. I, I tend to just try to keep spinning up. So I, once I've spun out to a gear where I'm like on the high end of my cadence threshold, then I shift one harder. 
yep. spin that one up, shift one harder, spin that one up. And once you're kind of nearing the end, you're probably still in your small ring at this point. Then it's like one easier, move it into the big ring or two easier, move it into the big ring. And then you're ready to, you know, to rock and roll. Um, but that, that is a good tip. Uh, actually, no, never mind. We're going to get to that tip at the very end. <laughs> so, um, we already kind of talked about it a little bit, but another big thing is, is, is cadence and cadence, this the shifting and cadence obviously go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So, um, but for the most part, people are, are going uphill at too low of a cadence. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have the gears, then and now there's no excuse to not have the gears. Yeah. Yeah. I, it remind like I was listening to, uh, uh, Lance's podcast one time and he was talking about, um, like how you would go to a start line if you had anything over a oh, 26, yeah. you would get laughed. Mm-hmm. You would get laughed off the bike mm-hmm. if you came to the start line with anything bigger than a 26. Yeah. And now you know a lot of the a lot of the uh, rear derailleurs can shift a 34. Yeah, 34, uh, 36. I mean the the yeah I've, I've got the the mullet group on my gravel bike. It shifts a 42. And I mean, so yeah, you can you can get some some gears that will take you up climbs at very slow speeds at a, at a good cadence. And a, and a tip there is go to a gear calculator. Like there's, I usually just go to like Sheldon Brown, uh, his gear calculator that he's got. And if you know what speed you're going to climb at, then you can put in the speed, you can put in your RPM, you know, in like 20 RPM blocks or 10 RPM blocks or whatever. And it'll, it'll let you know, you know, like what gear, you would need to be in in order to be at that cadence at that speed. So that's something I did for uh, one of the clients we've got who went out to uh, to Durango to do the Iron Horse. Was he'd trained out there before? We were looking at his climbing speeds on the climbs, and he was getting to where he's in the 55 RPMs, which was too low for you know what 6,000 feet of climbing. And uh, so we ended up kind of playing around with the gear combos and he ended up going to a, instead of having a 28, he went to a 32 or 34 in the rear. And he was like, so jazzed he did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you, when you have that gearing too, especially when you get on the steep, steep stuff, mm-hmm. I mean, it is, uh, you're so glad you have it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, nobody likes to have to crank out 50 RPMs for I made An that hour. mistake before yeah. at River Gorge. Oh my gosh. Oh, that was the, the worst. And my back was almost demolished yeah. as well. Yeah, because the lower cadence that you keep, oh. the more tension you have to have in your core mm-hmm. and, and stabilizing your pelvis and all this stuff. So people torch their backs by oh, yeah. by running too low of a cadence or yep. improper gearing. You know, it's all mm-hmm. kind of uh, together there. So uh, one last tip I'll put on kind of, this is kind of shifting cadence technique. Um once you're efficient at standing, um, when you run out of gears, because everybody's like, well, what happens when I don't have any gears left? Well, you have, uh, you have a couple options. Well, uh, hopefully you just paid attention to the last one yeah. and you prepped in advance and had a proper gear ratio on. Yeah. But it's, if you did not... Sometimes there's, you know, you don't have a... There's no choice there. But what I like to do is alternate like a set interval of seated and standing. And so like I'll do like... 30 seconds out of the saddle and then sit down and do like a minute in the, like seated yeah. and just alternate those so that you're distributing the load mm-hmm. between different muscles, different muscle groups, allowing, you know, your back and everything to take a rest exactly. when you're out of the saddle. Um, and on top of that, it gives you something to think about. It gives you mm-hmm. technique to think about and it gives you little time intervals to like distractions. Yeah. Yep. Distractions to get to the next mm-hmm. little bit. And usually you know, before you, before you know it, you're to the top. And I recommend you choose, you know, Dale just said 30 seconds. I recommend you give yourself more than a few pedal strokes because, you know, some people stand right away and go, Ooh, my legs didn't like that, but give it 15 pedal strokes and your legs like end up pumping, pumping it out and end up feeling a lot better. So that initial change from seated to standing it could be just that the technique hasn't you know during that change hasn't been dialed in on those first few pedal strokes or just a short shock to the system but give it 15 pedal strokes and odds are the legs are going to clear some for you and you're going to feel more comfortable out of the saddle yeah so we 
are in the Memphis area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned that at the beginning. Almost in the Delta. So super flat. So super flat. over the years, um, we've had a lot of athletes, you know, going to super hilly mm-hmm. races. Leadville. We just had folks at Leadville. Yeah. You know. Breck Epic. Um, you know, and so without that, without actual climbs to train on, mm-hmm. you know, we've had to, um, you know, kind of adapt some some training things so that people could actually prepare for these uh these big events so uh we're gonna we're gonna throw out some of our flatlanders tips uh for for training for for climbs Mm -hmm. for bigger hills um we've already kind of gone through um the gearing stuff so we won't really get into that a lot but that is, is is huge um one of the big things is doing a lot of low cadence work yep and i know you had mentioned and we have talked like well, Hart was on the couch here, um, talked about how much low cadence work he did. Mm-hmm. So um, putting in that low cadence, meaning higher force, you're having to you're get, your body has to adapt to putting out high force for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, low cadence for some uh, could even be like 70 RPMs. Um, but if you're going to some steep climbs, you're going to want to get down to that kind of 50 50 mm. to 60 rpm range because that's that's real i mean mm-hmm. that that happens so um a lot of low cadence work um and gradually progress that like don't just immediately go yeah, out yeah. and be like oh they said low cadence oh, did i forget to mention that i'm just gonna spend my whole ride in 5311 that's that's not what we're uh we're saying here but gradually progress the durations and know what the demands of where you're going is gonna be like you know if are you going to spend an hour climbing? Are you going to spend two hours climbing? You know, how much of that is going to be steep? How much isn't like kind of get a feel for what your, the course is going to look like wherever it is you're going and what you're training for. And if you're doing eight minute climbs, that's a lot different than 60 minute climbs. Um, and you'd adjust your training based on that, but yeah. low cadence work where you're actually simulating your climbing position more, um, you know, sitting up yeah, upright a little bit more, huge. sliding back a little bit more because that's a little different than being down in your drops and you're stressing those muscles a little bit different. Yeah, I don't way. think people understand. Some a lot of people don't understand that when the front end of your bike is elevated, depending on the the grade of the the hill, um, you you are changing your body position mm-hmm. um, so that you don't fall backwards. Exactly. So. As it gets steeper and you lean forward more, like muscle activation changes, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, uh, resistance and stabilization from different muscles changes. Um, So if you are going to do something with steep climbs, uh, especially if you don't have any and you're doing indoor stuff, Mm -hmm. jack that front wheel up and get used to to having the bike in that position. Yep, for sure. And your body, you know, having to deal with leaning forward more. Yep. Um, that, I mean, that's a, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, riding into the wind. We yeah. Most ha- places that don't yeah. have hills tend to have some wind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we may not have too many hills, but we've got some wind. We got, yeah, and, we do uh, have a little bit of wind. A lot sometimes. of times it feels like it's headwind mm-hmm. and you do a loop and you got headwind uh, the whole way. Yeah. But the, like the fact is, is that when you ride into a headwind, it steals your momentum exactly. a lot like a climb does, yep. a lot like going uphill. And uh, a lot of times, too, when you ride into a headwind, people naturally, like, they may not even think about it, but they, like, dip and they try to, like, get lower and, like, I lean forward. I was just going to say that, yeah. Be See, sure you don't try to keep your speed as high as you can. Yeah. Seek headwinds as opportunities to simulate climbing, not to see how fast you can push in a headwind. Right. Yeah. So you're you're you actually do simulate a lot of times simulate a decent uh, body position similar to climbing. Um, yeah, if you're going to ride into a headwind, don't get in your drops no. and like try to beast it through a wind. No, um, and you'll become the best friend of your riding group if you yeah, go to the front and just up. sit up tall and eat wind. Just oh, parachute on it and spend some time out of the saddle too. Like they're going to love you. Yeah. You'll be so, invited back. So riding into the wind is is huge. Um, hill repeats. Sometimes you got to go up and down a short hill over and over yep. and over and over again. 
uh, to simulate, you know, as close as possible, mm -hmm. um, what you're going to dive into on, on event day. And, and the big recommendation here, like, so Memphis, we have nothing is sustained really. Like we don't really have a ton of where you're going to be riding flat. We don't have a ton where you're going uphill for a long period of time. Like a lot of our rides are short little rollers, you know, 30 second burst, 45 second, 20 second, 60 second. Um, a long climb for us, like I mentioned at the start, was is what, 90 seconds here probably, um, if you're hitting it at speed. So what we encourage people to do is don't hit it at speed. Like you don't want to go in at 20 miles an hour and have your momentum carry you up the bottom quarter or bottom third of the hill. And now you're only really getting, you know, 30 seconds worth of, of climbing specific effort. Instead, almost come to a stop and pretend like this is a, you know, a 20 minute climb. And from the get go, started at a slower speed where you don't have any momentum and you're gonna essentially elongate the climb for yourself, that stress on your system. Um, something that other uh, uh, people have done as well is like filling your bottle with, uh, with heavy objects. Remember when Canute yeah, had- Increase uh, the weight, yeah. Increase your weight. Um, something else that works, you know, Dale and I both have kids towing a kid oh yeah or even just a bike trailer behind you yeah is a lot it's well, you can it's, weight the bike trailer too if you don't and have, wait yeah put if you don't have a kid there, just buy one find one cheap yeah just buy that baby cash but that will essentially make the hills harder it's stealing more of your momentum and uh <laughs> you just say buy that baby cash. <laughs> yes sorry dave, <laughs> dave Chappelle reference there stealing it's stealing your momentum again and it's it's going to help you elongate the climb also so it's like little yeah. little ways that you can make it uh you know simulate it as best you can and what i like to do is like and what i did with you know with um with hart and collins was set an elevation goal for a ride like hey go out there and you know we say 4k 4k for a lot of people are like 4k i get 4k in my first you know 30 miles but yeah. 4k for memphis that's that tough. could be a hundred plus miles if it's just, lot. if you're not seeking out climbs, you're not doing repeats. Um, it can take a long time to get 4k climbing here in Memphis. But if you go out that with, with that as your goal, find, find the hill, do it 10 times, ride to the next one, do it 10 times just so you don't mentally go insane. And then, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's going to do a lot more to benefit you than just going out and slogging out miles. Absolutely. So, uh, last tips and we've already we've already kind of gone over a lot of these mm -hmm. on our uh i think we had a whole episode on group ride tips yep. for not getting dropped yep some of these overlap so um one is starting climbs at the front of the group bingo bingo my, my favorite my favorite tactic uh when you don't uh your power to weight isn't uh quite what the uh, uh -huh. smaller guys is um starting at the front so that even if you start fading you fade to the back if it's a bigger group you might get all the way to the back but by the time you do you'll probably be up and over the yep. the climb that's the hope or you can be off the front like your goal is to still be with the group when you crest yep. so if you start at the back it's a bad place bad place because you have zero margin for error there yeah if you start at the front listen that means you can probably go yeah. up the climb 15 20 seconds slower listen to that again or more if you are if you are not really good mm -hmm. at going uphill, mm -hmm. do not start at the back of the group. Do not. And try to be as big of a road obstacle as you can. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Get this to next, the front. This next tip is one, out. Is, is one that I, uh, I really uh, believe in, really encourage. Pre-breathe. Like, if yep. you've been going at an easier effort, you know when you hit a climb, it's going to get hard pre-oxygenate the system. It's the same thing I do before a time trial, you know, at the start line. I'm filling the body, filling the lungs uh, with oxygen and trying to process, consume, consume as much oxygen as you can before you actually hit the hill. And even if you're not like super loading your body on oxygen here, it's mentally already putting you in uh, the frame of mind to be focusing on your breathing, which is something that you're gonna really need once the, the climb hits. You don't wanna get halfway up you know, one of the things that always happens here is like people don't start breathing till the effort's high. And we did a video before where we looked at like when the heart rate actually rises relative to when power starts. Yep. And there is that delay. 
you know, so if you're waiting for your body to start telling yep. you like, oh, that I'm would be starting a, to have to pump. That a lot would be more. a really interesting one now that the, uh, the, a lot of the Garmin heart rate straps measure respiratory rate. Mm. So you could see when the breathing increased versus where the heart rate started to come back up. Yeah. Might have to redo that video. I have to look at it. Yeah. yeah. But pre, you know, you want your, you want to be breathing at the start at the level that you will be breathing or need to be breathing at the end of the climb. Don't wait till yeah. it gets harder and harder to do so. Yeah. This next tip is uh, kind of a rehash of something we already talked about. This is the one I was going to mention earlier. Yeah. So um, the top of the hill is really not the top for you. Mm -hmm. um, and that is because um, when you're cresting the hill, the front of the group is going to is going to be accelerating as you're maybe still slowing a little bit or starting to accelerate. Um, so you have to keep pushing over the top of the hill so that you don't get gapped off basically over the crest. But at the same time, like we said a little while ago, when your legs stop spinning, you're no longer pumping the junk out of the legs. Up. Yep. And so, you know, by keeping at least a little pressure on the pedals and turning your legs over, you're gonna kind of pump out the junk mm -hmm. and your legs will recover quicker. I've seen a lot of people get dropped by assuming the top was when everyone was going to ease off. Assuming the top was where everyone's going to ease off because we made it to the top. In a race situation, that doesn't usually happen. Even yeah. in a faster or harder group ride situation, that doesn't happen. So mentally be thinking about, okay, I'm going to be putting power to the pedals, not to the top, but the finish for me is over the top when I'm back, back up to speed on a wheel, back up to speed. Yeah and then I can focus on recovering, but don't focus on recovering until then. Yeah. Next one. Big. I like this one. It's uh, it's positive self-talk. Yeah, if you tell yourself you're not a climber and you suck at the climbs, <laughs> guess what? Guess what? Guess what? You do suck. You are going to continue or possibly begin yeah. not doing well on climbs. So you know, tell yourself you can make it. Tell yourself you can last 10 more pedal strokes um you know mentally be positive don't as soon as you start telling yourself bad stuff it's that whole self-fulfilling prophecy where okay yeah I, I knew i suck at climbing so of course i'm going to get dropped here and your willingness to suffer longer and battle more uh is a lot less when you've already told yourself oh i can't climb yeah so you don't even try yep positive positive self-talk mm -hmm. huge mm -hmm. um the last little bit that we'll go into um, is when your legs start burning, and this is something we teach, I mean, hammered into people's heads during house of pain class, is when one muscle group starts burning, what can you do to take load off of that muscle group and then you know, put it on another. Sign up for the House of Pain. Yeah. <laughs> Information on that coming shortly. <laughs> Information coming out Shameless in roughly plug. one month. Um, so like, just real quick, like if your quads are on fire. Tops of the legs, for those unsure. Uh, we can thighs, start, some we can people call them thighs. thighs. Yep. <laughs> you can start thinking about uh, pushing more down with the heel, driving the heel down a little bit more. Relaxing your toes. Relax yeah, the toes drive the heel down and that will allow the glutes to work a little bit more on that downstroke that's the big one versus the quads focus on trying to pedal with your butt muscles as yeah. opposed to the tops of your legs yeah and then which you can do yeah mm -hmm. and then if the glutes start to you know cash out on you um or or if the quads also another way to take pressure off the quads is focus more on that upstroke and allowing your hamstrings and hip flexors to do, do to do a little bit more work by punching that knee up and forward. Mm -hmm. So you're really just constantly moving load from, from the prime movers that get burnt out mm -hmm. uh, to some of the other ones that aren't as fatigue resistant, but they can do work for a little while. And then, you know, to give that micro recovery. Yeah, odds are if one muscle group's starting to burn out, it's because you're overusing it or yeah. you're fighting it on the opposite side. So, you know, knowing what muscle groups work during the different phases can be, can be huge. Mm -hmm. We say this a lot, you know, it helps with climbing, but it also helps if you start cramping. Like if your quads oh, yeah. start cramping or if your hamstrings start cramping, like what do you do? Well, start using the muscle groups that aren't that muscle group and work on the, the phases of the pedal stroke um, that will help alleviate that. Yeah, we could do a whole episode on uh, pedal stroke. 
yeah phases yeah we kind of did we did <laughs> we did a little bit today I can't <laughs> all right you got anything else uh n- i think that was pretty that was fairly in depth in, in depth in about an hour was it an hour yeah roughly all right those well, are all our tips granted you won't be seeing us stealing any uh gibraltar kon climbs out in california nonsense but... poopy pants <laughs> Positive self-talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We appreciate everybody hanging out, listening, watching, and we will catch you guys next time. Peace. Adios. Adios.